welcome to another episode of the Marvel's World podcast, a podcast where I speak to absolutely fascinating and intriguing individuals. People help people like you and me make what we love a full-time job. If you like the episode, share it with your friends and give us a review on iTunes or Amazon. If you didn't, then this episode didn't happen. <laughs> Today we have an absolutely fantastic guest. His name is Roy Moore John. He is the founder of Aventus, and they are a company that are your, how you say, crowdfunding connoisseurs. They've helped fund $300 million from companies worldwide, and we're here today to find out about his fascinating journey into crowdfunding and see what many of us are doing wrong. And maybe you guys can pick up a few things on how you can go and go about doing crowdfunding the right way. Please say hello to Roy Morjon. How are you doing, Roy? Hey, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to speak to your audience. And yeah, it's great having you here. And I mean, as we spoke earlier, you've you've had quite an exciting journey from like working secretly with Yahoo <laughs> to now being raising three hundred million dollars for companies across the world in crowdfunding. I mean, how did you get into that? How did that happen? Yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. Um, so you know, really uh, started young. Uh, learning AOL, you know, was the first opportunity I had to get online uh, and basically connect with the rest of the world. And that's kind of where I've started learning about you know community building and the power of the community. And you can see that today in the the Reddits of the world and you know, pumping up the GME stock and all these other things that are going on in the world with these communities. And AOL was that really that first opportunity where I was able to build a community and a group of like-minded youngsters, if you will, that wanted to pirate software across the internet. Um, so learned how to, you know, code, create scripts, create programs uh, that allowed us to do that. Uh, ended up getting in, in a little bit of trouble uh, and advised, you know, some of these larger corporations in terms of AOL, Microsoft, um, you know, as they were launching their internet portals on some of the gaps that they had in terms of their software and the manipulations that uh, us young kids could do with it to, you know, emulate other things that they didn't want us to necessarily do with their software. So that's kind of how I got started in terms of, you know, connecting and getting online and building communities there. And now with crowdfunding, it correlates perfectly with what we do with every product that we launch out there. You know, we're out there building a community, a tribe before we launch the product. We're gaining insights, we're getting feedback, we're seeing how this physical product or this fashion item or whatever it may be fits with that community or how it could be adjusted to fit a larger community. Um, so really that's you know the beauty of crowdfunding is there's, there's a crowd and you're able to gather feedback from them and have a one-to-one -one relationship as the founder of the company to the consumers that are enjoying your idea. Because from what you what you said about crowdfunding, it sounds to me a bit like you know like trying it's basically sort of making the most out of building a community, but building something a bit like drawing the passion and energy a bit like people have for cosplay or Star Trek, but for your own sort of product. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, basically it's you know, we're always talking about giving value before you go in and ask them to buy or give insight, right? So being present throughout that, you know, journey, if you will, in terms of the audience that you think that you're trying to reach or the problem that you're trying to solve for that audience. Uh, a lot of folks go in with just, you know, ask, 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 take, take, take. 
you know, and that's the wrong way to approach community building. It's give, 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 give as much as possible and be present, be the resource that they lean on for answers or questions, given that you're going to be the expert, you know, or thought leader in that category, whatever it may be. And regardless of whether it's a physical product or, you know, being a comedian or whatever it may be, be that go-to person in that community, um, because that's going to help you leverage, you know, that network and that connection of all of the giving that you've done when it's your turn to ask, whether that be for feedback or for capital when you launch your campaign. What you said there reminds me of like what people say in like in terms of building the presence of social media in terms of like growing a following. I mean, it's all about finding your niche, as, as you said there. But how does sort of crowdfunding differ to sort of building a social media following? Or would you say they're just the same thing, but slightly different? A little bit different. Yeah, I mean, you know, a social media following you don't necessarily own, right? That's, you don't own Facebook, you don't own Twitter, you know, those aren't there, you don't know if they're going to always be there, right? So unless your tribe, your community is in like an email newsletter, or you have text messaging capabilities with them, you know, those are pretty much the only data points that you could potentially own unless you're bringing those members of your community to an offline place or to a digital networking community that you own, run, operate, et cetera. So there's a little bit of difference there in terms of a social media presence and a following there. Yes, certainly likely those people like what you say or you know, are following you for their own reasons. Um, but typically you're trying to get those people to come, you know, do an action on the crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, whatever it may be. And again, only once they finish the transaction and the campaign completes successfully in terms of overachieving your campaign funding goal, do then you get access to their information in terms of their email address and their shipping address where you're supposed to send their product. And then is the opportunity of kind of building and, you know, curating and constantly communicating with that crowd and that community that you've built on your own means so that you do own that community in whatever platform you continue to communicate to them through. And how, how important would you say the why is before you even go, go and start a crowdfunding? Like, well, the why is critical to, you know, life in general, right? I mean, in terms of big picture, right? Like, why are you doing this or why are you doing anything? Why are you starting this company? Why are you doing this type of project? You know, it, it certainly should be something you're passionate about uh, in terms of your overall why but also how you're going to convey that to the community that hopefully you're going to be able to cultivate and bring in and that they'll support you in your why. Um, so there's a lot of content that you have to create in terms of, you know, really focusing in on what is that why and why should someone also be ex just as excited as you are about the thing that you're launching. Okay. And what are some of the common things you often see people do wrong when they're crowdfunding when they come over to you, to you guys? Yeah. And again, you know, we're, we're very focused on physical products. So sometimes people come to us with things that are not physical products and it's just not a good fit for us, not necessarily not, not a good fit for crowdfunding itself, whether it be, you know, something in the arts or, you know, something that isn't necessarily physical in nature, uh, software, mobile apps, et cetera. Those are things that we typically just don't take on from a reward crowdfunding standpoint, but certainly have a basis or an opportunity with equity crowdfunding. Um, but in terms of, some of the things people do wrong, you know, on the physical product side speaking, because that's our expertise, 
not having a working prototype you have to have these days basically to showcase the product and how it works and the why of why a consumer should back or support this project in terms of earning their trust you know that being another key component of it is are you trustworthy enough to deliver this product have you done it before is this your first foray into entrepreneurship or is this a side hustle for you and you just kind of want to test and see if there's an audience for your idea or innovation are you 100 percent bought into this thing um, a lot of folks, entrepreneurs, you know, have the idea, but, you know, everything is in the execution these days. You know, there's a lot of ideas out there, but truly, how do you execute on that, build the company, potentially not just be a one product company? You know, you really have to build out a brand or what's that long-term vision of multiple products and SKUs to, you know, continue to you know, build out a customer base based on the idea that you do. Um, you know, we've had a handful of clients that have done half a dozen to a dozen campaigns and that's solely based off of engaging their crowd and saying, hey, what do you want next? What do you want next? Hey, we did this one. What, what do you want next? And, you know, by having that opportunity to have a one-to-one -one relationship or communication channel with the creator and the crowd funder, the backer, really that can open up some unique doors in terms of new product innovations. Okay. And one of the things that I've read is that you guys say that, one of the critical things is within 48 hours, you've got to meet your goal. It is a critical success metric overall. Uh, you know, my, the phrase that I always go back to is nobody wants to be the first person on the dance floor, but once there's a party going on, everybody else wants to join in. And that's the same way with the reward-based crowdfunding campaign is usually it's very tough to get, you know, the first few backers in there outside of maybe friends, family, mom, and dad. Um, but again, once you have that momentum and it's fully funded, Typically, in the mind of the consumer that's coming into the campaign after, let's say, day two, and they see that the campaign is fully funded and there's hundreds or thousands of backers there, their trust goes up in terms of, one, you being able to deliver the product because you got what you asked for, and two, the early bird pricing also is typically running out or has run out and uh, FOMO kicks in in terms of, oh, I've got to get this now, move on with my day, support the campaign. Okay. And... So in terms of, so would you say a, a smart way to do it is set the price being maybe 50% less than the actual goal you want just to get the ball rolling before you actually go about, or what would you say? There is a art and science in terms of setting a public facing funding goal. Uh, typically it's different than the internal goal that the company or the team or the entrepreneur has, right? Every entrepreneur wants to raise a million dollars on Kickstarter, but there's only been about 600 campaigns ever that have done over a million dollars in the 30-day campaign, and we've fortunately been able to work on almost 100 of those. Um, but in terms of you know the the overall funding number, the public-facing funding goal, that should be truly based off of how much capital you need to bring this idea to market. Uh, it shouldn't be something that you know if you barely meet, you still can't produce the product. Um, people are back in the campaign with the expectation that their funds are going towards the creation of that product and it will be shipped in the time frame that you allot it. Um, so, you know, usually we'll back into that number in terms of, you know, understanding what their actual goal is, what we feel we can hit on the first day or the first 24 hours or 48 hours, whatever it may be, uh, based off of our pre-campaign numbers in terms of email addresses or people that are signed up to receive you know, early bird discounts or notifications once the campaign goes live, you know, multiply that by an average conversion rate times that times, you know, the average purchase price and 
voila, you kind of get your number in terms of what number you believe you'll be able to hit within the first 24 hours upon the launch. And of course, there's a variety of other factors that go into that in terms of getting press or media or people just aren't ready to convert or another pandemic hits and people's wallets get you know a little bit thinner. Uh, so there's a lot of different factors in there, but there's definitely you know the art and science in terms of setting that public facing funding goal and making sure that you're able to fulfill the goal or fulfill the product no matter what based on that number you set. And what would you say, how do you adjust like your strategy based on the client? Like well, it's not necessarily the client, but more or less the product, right? Every product has a different community that it's going to engage well with, right? So for e-bikes, that's an outdoors community or people that are looking for more health, wellness, those sorts of things. Uh, a fashion brand, again, a very different audience, um, you know, and much of the testing that we will do will be through our Facebook advertising platforms and our expert team. Um, that has, you know, published multiple success stories now on Facebook in terms of how we would build out the testing of what is the right audience in terms of purchasing this product and engaging on this product and seeing potential other use cases for it as the campaign goes live, but also testing a lot before the campaign ever goes live to see what content truly resonates with the audiences that we feel are going to be pre-purchasing that product. Okay. And what have been some sort of examples you've had where you like that have been surprising in terms of how well they've done? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of our earliest million dollar campaigns basically was the product Bunch of Balloons um, with the inventor Josh Malone. So, you know, he came to us very early on with not a lot of capital and it surprised us because one, I mean, we, we loved the product. Obviously when we saw it, we're like, man, why didn't I think of that? Or I wish I had that when I was a kid kind of thing. And we were just like, oh, this is gonna be great. You know, it's gonna resonate really well with the audience. But we were still unsure because the Kickstarter community was very much a millennial audience at the time. And it still is for the most part, but now those millennials are starting to have kids and, you know, grow up and do all those sorts of things. Um, but at the time, you know, that was the sixth most backed campaign ever. Uh, when we launched that one, uh, you know, almost 10 years ago now, eight years ago. Um, that one certainly surprised us. Another one that surprised us more recently was a custom molded high heel shoe called Antonia St. New York. And that one's difficult because you can't try on the footwear with a Kickstarter campaign, right? You just have to assume that it is what it is and the creator is going to create an amazing product. And what we were able to do with our Facebook advertising and targeting was open up a whole new community that we didn't realize needed this product, that this product solved their problem. And that was with the transgender community. We would have had no idea that they had this problem or need, you know, for a custom molded high heel shoe, um, you know, that need, they needed a larger size, if you will, than what typical, you know, women's fashion brands would publish or create. Um, so that opened a whole new category and brought in, you know, I believe over, over another half a million dollars into the campaign that we just, it was unexpected found money, you know, if you will, based on our advertising and our targeting. Um, so really, you know, every campaign can, can be a surprise overall. Uh, but when you work with these large million dollar campaigns, you start to see trends and where you can potentially target and advertise to uh, in terms of finding a new audience uh, that potentially finds this product new, innovative, and willing to support. And what, what have been some challenging and scary stories you've had during your journey? 
Uh, you know, from a business perspective, there are always things that pop up, you know, in terms of setting up and structuring your company and getting everything in writing, um, you know, those being some things. But, you know, in terms of when I first launched my agency, you know, 10 years ago, we were more or less a another digital marketing agency focusing on helping startups. It wasn't until, you know, I got us to rank first on Google for startup marketing that a active Kickstarter campaign reached out to us and said, Hey, we have a campaign that we're running on Kickstarter and we could use some startup marketing. And at that point I had never heard of Kickstarter. Uh, I didn't know what it was. So we looked into it like, Oh, this is cool. You know, people are pre-purchasing products before they exist. And it gives us an opportunity to work with startups from the ground up, really lay their foundation, do their marketing for them and help find consumers for them. So, you know, just being able to be agile, and be able to pivot our business model from away from, let's say, the standard digital marketing agency out there doing the SEO, the PR, the social media, et cetera, but really being able to help pivot and grow startups that were looking to do Kickstarter campaigns that snowballed now into, you know, doing more than 2,100 Kickstarter campaigns and, you know, over, I think, $350 million now in capital raised for our clients. What's um, one thing that I find quite interesting is a lot of a lot of Kickstarter campaigns or Indiegogo campaigns I've seen they have a like a little tier system where they give more based on obviously how much you pay. But what would you say is from what you see is a correct way to go about doing that? So you're talking about like reward tiers? Yeah. Yeah, so our, our thoughts on that are kind of, you know, launch with usually no more than seven to nine reward tiers because it can lead to overall confusion from the contributor, the, the backer of the campaign. Uh, first one's usually, you know, maybe the high five or, you know, follow along for 10 bucks, just support us, kind of the tip jar. We use that maybe on 50% of the campaigns, give or take. But the first reward is usually the deepest discount that you can give, you know, typically on Kickstarter, they're called the early bird rewards. Um, usually that's, you know, 50 to 70% off the MSRP price on the product, right? So you're giving your crowd that early adopter community, the best price. Sometimes you're losing money on it, honestly, uh, just to get that crowd in there, get the first people on the dance floor, so to speak, and, you know, build that first 10, 50 or hundred backers to come into it, you know, to pre-fund the campaign and get the ball going. And then you can have other tiers as needed, right? Whether it be two packs, five packs, meet and greet with the founders, you know, uh, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. But again, most of those rewards should be tested before the campaign ever goes live with the crowd and community that you've built, you know, beforehand. So you mentioned, of course, like testing the rewards just now. And so sort of thing, what sort of checklist do people need to do to make sure the campaign goes right and how do they go about meeting them so well you know we have we have over 250 checklists you know in terms of boxes that need to be checked before a campaign goes live so i'm not going to go through all of those but i mean you know there's proper preparation right you know uh, that's the best way to go about it there's you know over 195,000 successful campaigns now that have funded on kickstarter it's very easy now to look at all of the data, right? To be able to say, oh, my campaign kind of looks like this and kind of looks like that, and then reverse engineer what they did in terms of look at their reward structure, look at their pricing structure, look at where the campaign contributors came from, what countries, 
What did they offer for tiers or perks? Or who did they reach out to from PR and get coverage from? Who did they do cross promotions with, et cetera? Maybe who are they manufacturing with? You know, again, if you're really at the beginning of the stages of, you know, bringing your product to market. But the research phase is the most critical phase in terms of understanding if your product serves more than just your need in terms of an individual basis and hope that there's a larger crowd out there that you're solving this problem for. Um, so everything has to begin with research. And how much time and effort does it usually take for you to make sure that the campaign goes well and proper? Yeah, so with my team, I mean, they, they're experts at launching these products. You know, we've built a proven system time and time again where we're launching a new innovation every day on average. Uh, and the proper preparation is certainly critical to that. But we put in hundreds of hours into a full service campaign launch from the creative to the brand strategy to the asset creation and the videography to the storytelling, to the campaign rewards, to the outreach efforts, to our social media, to our lead generation, our ads, our email marketing, our content creation, et cetera. You know, we have experts in every single category that help our clients, you know, throughout the whole process of launching the campaign and making it a successful endeavor. And so how does the process normally go? Like they email you and you just say, what do you want? And then you go further on, what will this mean to you? Or how does it go from there? Yeah, there's no buckets, you know, in terms of where folks fit in, because every startup's in a different position. But we're fortunate enough to get hundreds of new business inquiries a week, you know, where we sort through them, see if they're a good fit for our agency, a good fit for crowdfunding, where they're at financially, where their product innovation is at, whether their prototype is built or they need help in and assistance with product development, which we do. Um, you know, maybe they just need the creative done or their brand strategy done, but really it's a, a matter of diving in and seeing where they're at, kind of auditing their assets, auditing their, their company as a whole, understanding how we can help them out and what that may look like in terms of a long-term relationship with them. Uh, typically, we're not in the uh, one and done industry in terms of just launch the campaign, get it done and move on to the next one. We're truly looking to, to build long-term relationships with our clients where many times now we're, we're taking an equity stake with them to go along for the ride with them and continue to be their marketing partner or their product development and sourcing agent for them long-term. Okay. And what, what would you say is an example, a perfect example of what, if someone's doing their campaign wrong, who's, who would you say is someone that is a perfect example of turning that around? Like they've started their campaign wrong, but they've managed to make it a fantastic campaign. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of times we see other entrepreneurs that have launched their campaigns many times with other agencies that simply fail. They're not good at you know whatever it may be, you know, bringing the crowd to the campaign itself. So we have a lot of save the day campaigns that we take over and start running ads or traffic or review and update, you know, their overall marketing plan to make sure that the engagement is a profitable one for them and that they're able to succeed and reach their funding goal so that their backers and their community that they've cultivated potentially over the months or years isn't disappointed that the fact that they're not able to deliver a product at the end of the day. Um, so, you know, typically, again, it begins with the research of what is that product, who are the consumers that they think they're supposed to be reaching out to or going to be pre-purchasing that product from, and how can we potentially adjust their campaign in the, while it's active or simply stop the campaign and relaunch it months later? Um, it, you know, it, it varies because every startup's in a different position and every product's in a different position as well in terms of 
one, how far along is that prototype? Is it finished? How quickly do you ship? Or does it need to be further refined um, based on the audience that you're going to be reaching out to and asking for that purchase? It's, well, everything that's sort of happening now, I mean, COVID sort of completely changed the world in March last year. And how did it sort of affect you guys? How did you have to change it? And yeah, how, how did you guys adapt to this? Yeah, you know, the, the beautiful thing, if you will, about, you know, this pandemic has been that it's affected the world and thus it's affected products in terms of new innovations that are coming to market to help people live better lives with this pandemic still active. Um, so we got to see all of the new innovations from masks to clothing to items at home, you know, to keep kids at bay uh, since all the kids are, you know, virtual learning and all of that. Um, so really it's the, the innovators truly came out during this pandemic because they were spending more time at home. They were, you know, bored and thinking and tinkering and if you will. Uh, so we actually got the opportunity to work with all of these brand new brands that were grown out of the, you know, the dire needs that the pandemic created, uh, whether it be home life or, you know, just going around and, you know, living an active life still. Um, so, you know, in terms of crowdfunding itself, it's still alive and well. Kickstarter had its best year. Indiegogo, I believe, probably had its best year as well. If you look at equity crowdfunding, it's continuing to rise week after week in terms of the amount of capital flowing in and people diversifying their portfolios through those, you know, early investment opportunities. Uh, and for us, you know, we had one of our better years ever in terms of, you know, product development, manufacturing, marketing, et cetera. Um, so really there, there's, there's a few different lines there, but you know, it really helped bring out, I think the inventor and a lot of folks. Okay. And how, how do you, how do you manage this all? Like with, I mean, you've got a family, you've got all these things going on at the moment. How do you live a balanced life with everything that's happening? I don't, I don't think anyone can. I don't think you can live a balanced life. Um, I think you, you have to be nimble enough and agile enough to, to know where to spend your time, spend your attention, um, you know, and put focus in, whether that, you know, for, for me, it was fully on the family and staying put and, you know, focusing in on them, um, you know, but there's a lot of different things that everybody is balancing differently. And I think, you know, one of the key things that you have to have is just simply empathy for, for everybody that's out there because we're all going through things differently. But the, the one thing that is consistent is that we're all, you know, affected by this pandemic. Uh, and I think, you know, it's really going to be helpful for us to truly focus on the individual needs of your, your home first, your local community, and then, you know, others thereafter that you can potentially help out. It's just difficult because you're not supposed to be going out and interacting and doing those sorts of things. But, you know, it is great that we're, we're getting some, some help with some vaccines here and that, that rollout's been, been slow, but in some countries it's, it's going well. Um, so hopefully by, by summer, you know, it's, it's a little bit different in terms of, you know, a little bit better of a, a potential work-life balance uh, during all of this. Yeah, no, it's been great. My parents have got it, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> oh, man. But um, the, the thing, <laughs> it's great that the vaccine's all getting, got, and I think, you know, maybe towards the end of the year, things may start getting back to normal, would you say? You know, uh, I read an article in Bloomberg that said it would take seven years to, you know, vaccine, vaccinate the rest of the world at the 75% rate that we need. Uh, and that scares me that it's going to take seven years just for this strain of coronavirus. And of course, I'm not a a doctor or anything like that, but I feel like there's going to just be constant 
you know, uh, issues in airborne diseases or what have you. Uh, and this is just the, the beginning of it, of stuff that we're going to have to continue to live with, but adapt to. Yeah, uh, it may change things for the better. But at least people will be clean, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people have truly focused on their health as well and their wellness. You know, like we, we did a campaign uh, during the middle of the pandemic in the summer uh, for the most funded fitness product ever, Oyo Fitness. Uh, we ran their second campaign for them. Uh, we ended up raising $4.4 million for their fitness product. Uh, and again, most funded fitness product ever. So I think there's a lot of people that have truly taken to heart uh, their, their personal well-being and their fitness and their health um, because, you know, there wasn't much else for them to do except, you know, sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day maybe. <laughs> oh, I've seen a lot of that. I mean, there's only so many programs you can watch. And for me, I, I get rid of Netflix and certain things because I'm just, I'll just spend all day on it. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of folks that are doing that. But again, there's there's the opposite side of that of the people that are hustling out there and trying to do bigger things. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I'm intrigued to find out is if someone sort of wants to be where you are now, like tell us a bit about how much work it takes for you to be where you are. Like, what's your routine like? Is it a bit like Elon Musk, 80 hours weeks or 100 hour weeks? Or it's tough, right? Every, every day is different for me, um, which I find fortunate and unfortunate some days, right? So this morning I got up at 3.30 uh, and started my m mindfulness and meditation and, you know, some journaling. Uh, after that, it's, you know, getting a workout in before the kids wake up and then getting everything, you know, routine-wise for the kids to be able to do their school and everything else for that. And then every day is a little bit different in terms of meeting with my management team, one-on-ones with individuals on my team, talking with prospects and partnerships and those sorts of things. And then really being the, the visionary for the company and seeing where, where's the puck headed and where do we need to go and what do we need to do to get there? Um, whether it be hiring um, or growing or, you know, expanding our business through acquisitions or other things like that. Um, but everybody, every day is a little bit different. So, you know, if, if that's kind of the, the path that you're looking for, then entrepreneurship is certainly there, but it's definitely not a uh, straight line to success. <laughs> and what, 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 what are the days like when it's like Napoleon Bonaparte? Because there was days where he, when he was doing his thing, where there'll be a couple of days where you get no sleep and there'll be days and days end with no sleep. How often does that happen on your journey? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, I'm, I'm good to go with only about four or five hours of sleep. So I'm, uh, I'm in my own category there usually. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly it happens. You know, we have clients that are all around the world. So we're dealing with, you know, Asian clients that we have to be up at, you know, seven or eight in the morning for, or on the, on, you know, the, the reverse, eight, nine, 10 p.m. sometimes. So it, it's truly, you know, with the clients that we work with, we, we have to be aware and online and, you know, the internet doesn't sleep. Um, so when you're running an internet-based campaign or a marketing campaign, you have to be aware of that data of what's coming in and make adjustments on the fly. How hard was it for you before you made it into the position you are in now? I mean, that must have been complete. Was it like you hear of Mark Zuckerberg, just a laptop in one room and everything in one place and like endless, endless, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, you know, I started running the agency out of the, the basement of my house, you know, and that's kind of, you know, how it evolved. You know, I'm, I just need an internet connection to do my job, you know, and that's the beautiful part of, you know, where the world is at now, where most of the people are working remotely where possible and corporations are understanding that their clients, their employees are just as efficient, if not more efficient 
they're happier working from home. They don't have to risk their lives every day of going out and interacting with their coworkers and potentially getting someone sick, ill, or die from, you know, this terrible disease or virus. Um, so, you know, again, uh, a lot of people have new opportunities, especially working from home uh, here in the States and, you know, worldwide, I think, in terms of those opportunities that, that they are fortunate to have those jobs that they can do from their home, from their computer, uh, with little need for an office space anymore. One, one thing to sort of follow on from that is, often I find in comedy and sometimes a bit in acting and even singers as well, like sometimes a lot of people don't actually want to do the art, they want what's at the end of it, rather than the actual job itself. And I mean, how, I mean, what, what's a sign for you when someone's trying to um, work with you for, for the crowdfunding campaigns that they are of that ilk, like they're not really that passionate about the project that they want to put forward to you guys? And you can see it's not going anywhere. Yeah, no, fortunately, the entrepreneurs that we work with are very passionate about the products that they are creating. Um, very early on, sometimes we unfortunately are put in the positions to tell them that their baby is ugly, that, you know, it's not a product that, you know, likely will do well, that has a big audience, variety of reasons. But in terms of the entrepreneurs that we get to work with, most of them are very passionate about the product, but yeah, they want to, you know, leapfrog the, the steps that they have to take to get there. And there's a process to building a successful company, brand, product, exit, whatever it may be there are steps there and you know that's why we have the company that we have to be a turnkey product launch company where we can help do the leapfrogging for them because we have the relationships in place because we have everything under one roof nothing gets outsourced we have it all there in terms of you know taking your napkin sketch of a product idea and building in our lab and our studio and our engineering team can take it over we can create that first prototype and then build out all the assets and the creative and the storytelling and all of that and basically just be able to do it with one team where you find a lot of these entrepreneurs are jumping around in terms of, you know, wasting money here, wasting money there. And then years later, they finally have it where they could have been in and out, you know, done within six months potentially. So, you know, every entrepreneur, every startup's in a different place. Um, but it's, it's our job to kind of understand that and show them what that path looks like in a reasonable manner in terms of time and cost and engagement needed. And how, how do you make sure that everyone's on the same page? I mean, it must be difficult if you have like people in the same team and they're super ambitious. You know, if you have two Conor McGregor's, they want to sort each other out and they're very ambitious and you put them in the same room together, the same team, it's going to be a bit of aggro. Like how do you get the people the right motivation, work ethic, determination and right attitude to work without them basically being arseholes and you'd be able to do what you do successfully? Yeah, I mean, good, the, the best thing about it is the, the folks that hire us have that expectation in terms of knowing that we're the experts in the industry, right? They're, they're not, you know, they understand what it's going to take, what it's going to cost, what, what the path looks like. We spell that out for them very clearly. And obviously, there are going to be, you know, discussions that are had and disagreements potentially in terms of overall direction. But typically, we, we let the data do the talking, right? And that leads our direction in terms of when we're doing marketing or pre-campaign advertising or whatever it may be. We say, no, your audience actually looks like this, and it's not what your opinion was. Um, you know, so a lot of times it's great. Thank you for your opinion. We'll test it and try it, but we'll also let the data do the, the speaking for us in terms of where we go from here. Okay. And 
how has your passion sort of shaped you who you are now like who were you before you started this and who are you now uh you know i think the only uh, one of the only constants is change you know and you kind of have to be agile and adapt to the world and you know the opportunities that come in front of you you know it wasn't my intention to set out and build you know the, the world's greatest crowdfunding marketing agency but you know that that's what people have told us we are uh, you know we've built this really interesting community of people and early adopters and i think you know it's important to lean on your experience and the past of what you've had and have as many unique opportunities um, but also be constantly growing yourself uh, you know being parts of networking groups or membership groups that can truly you know help you leapfrog in terms of the expectations that you have and where you want to be or where you want your company to be and people that have done it before you you know it's a great idea to find a mentor that's done exactly what you want to do in terms of you know being that person on in, on the stage or the spotlight or whatever it may be that gets constant gigs or bookings or for the entrepreneur that wants to exit their company and sell their company eventually for you know x 10x multiples you know finding that mentor that can really help you get there because they've done it before um you know so it's, it's everybody's on a different path but really it's a matter of you know aligning to your goals and writing your goals down for the first time for many people and really looking at those daily and saying, yes, that's my North Star. That's where I'm headed. That's where I want to go. What's going to help me get there? And when you're working with clients, it's, it's not like they send you a project and then you do all the work for it. How much, if, if someone wants to produce a successful crowdfunding campaign, how much work should they be spending on it to make sure it's successful? What do they need to check? Like they need to check I don't know, the SEO title, the description. They need to check. What do they need to do? Again, there's, you know, uh, dozens of checklists for us that we would go through, but, you know, the, the product itself needs to be the hero, right? And the problem that it's solving. So take a look at that, you know, take a step back from that and see, is this really solving a problem or am I just putting more stuff into the world? Um, you know, the last thing we need is more junk, more stuff, right? And it's just constant uh, in terms of the things that are coming out. So, you know, how could you make it more eco-friendly or fully recyclable so that if someone does not use this once it's bought or purchased, whatever it may be, um, you know, the, the lifespan of that product in the environment isn't as harmful as some of the other previous products that have come out before it. Um, so really, it's a matter of focusing in on the product, finding that there is a community for it, and then really refining your focus in terms of the niche audience that you're going to be reaching with this. You don't want to create a product that the whole world needs because there isn't a product outside of air and water and shelter, you know, and fire maybe that the whole world needs. Everything else is covered. You know, the products are all there. We're all living just fine. Our lifespans are getting longer, right? And there's a variety of reasons for that. But in terms of your product, focusing on the niche, you know, the riches in the niches. Um, so really, you know, for some of the crowdfunding products that are most successful, many times they serve a very unique community and niche audience. Okay. And what, what has been an example of people that you've worked with or people have come across in terms of their crowdfunding campaigns and they're like, what you've been like, what the hell is this? Like, it, what's, what's been a very funny and hilarious, like, what the hell is this story? I mean, you get some folks that just don't know how to Google, you know, and they just, I'm just like, yes, that exists. It's a car. 
you know, or like it's a wheel, you know, those things exist, right? Um, so a lot of times you just have, again, people that just want to leapfrog to success and fame and fandom where they just don't do any research whatsoever and they expect us to do it all for them. Like we know what's going to be successful overall if you just give us the general nature of your product, your idea and where it's at. But most folks are lazy, you know, inherently lazy and don't do any of that pre-campaign work or research and, you know, actually put the time and energy and effort needed to actually show that you're passionate for it and not that someone else is going to do it all for you for free and, you know, those sorts of things. So we, we get a handful of those every week, but it's just, you know, a matter of, again, having that conversation with them and seeing how truly passionate they are about this product or solving this problem and, you know, what they're willing to do for it. Is there any case in particular that, that you, that you will never, never forget? Uh, in terms of like a physical product that someone presented to us? Or yeah. Yeah, like a product and a person that you come across that that you you're like oh this is you know i'm never going to forget this because this was so unforgettable yeah there's one that comes to mind and um super sweet gentleman uh you know came to us and wanted to do a documentary for uh an individual that wasn't a famous person by any means but he was very passionate about the work that this person did and this person lived in the early 1900s before most people would even know who the guy was. And he was like, no, I wanna do a documentary on this guy. I don't care, I just wanna spend the money and you know, raise a quarter of a million dollars to do this documentary about this guy. And we kept telling him it's not a good fit. The crowdfunding audience doesn't even know who this person is, they didn't exist. Their parents didn't even exist when this person was around. So it's gonna be extremely difficult for us to get a passionate audience around a person that really wasn't that famous, but did some good things for America, you know, and he just kept pushing us through it. And, you know, we we're like, okay, we'll, we'll keep trying. We'll keep trying. And, you know, we fell short of the funding goal. We did set it at a quarter of a million dollars. I believe we raised, you know, 50 to $70,000 for it, which was remarkable for us just thinking that we were able to, you know, find an audience that was out there that was willing to, to back the campaign and the documentary itself. But, you know, again, we'll test and try everything if, if the client wants to do that. But, you know, that's why we're doing a lot more market validation pre-campaign in terms of let's see if this idea is as good as you believe it is and see how the audience engages with it before we launch the crowdfunding campaign. Um, so that way we're able to do it in not necessarily a fully public, transparent platform like Kickstarter would be where everybody can see it. We're able to do some strategic testing and see you know, what our audience looks like and what their engagement rates may look like in terms of, you know, acquisition costs and if it's in alignment with, you know, the margins that that product needs to have. And for everything that's happened and all, everything you've experienced, how has your previous life helped you in your career now? Well, I'm still in my current life. Um, so <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure what you mean, like before, it, before, you know, running and starting agencies. Yeah, like before you, yeah, before that, what, like, what was it in your upbringing? What was it about the people you were around or what, what in college, what, what, ha what has helped you in your career now? Yeah, I think it all begins, you know, childhood, right? In terms of parents and upbringing and, you know, the work ethic uh, that I learned from my mom and my dad, you know, waking up early and helping out my dad and doing those sorts of things and just, 
you know, er, the earning, understanding the value of a dollar and how hard work, you know, you can achieve anything and kind of, you know, buy the things that you want to buy with hard work. Um, so it all begins with that foundation, honestly. And I think that's what we see the most successful entrepreneurs have kind of that, that chip on their shoulder, if you will, in terms of proving everyone wrong or, you know, being able to, you know, succeed uh, in, in spite of, you know, the challenges that they've had to overcome throughout their lives. Um, so, you know, I think that's been instilled with me, you know, ever since I was a kid. Okay. And what values apart from sort of hard work do you consider most important to you in terms of like the people you mix with, the clients you work with and what, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. For me, I think, you know, one of the top qualities I look for is curiosity. Um, you know, how curious of a person are you? Are you, how do you go down the rabbit hole, you know, with that idea or innovation or how it can solve problems or whatever it may be? Like, how do you just look at something and then move on to the next thing? Or do you truly think about it? You know, how much do you think about, you know, how what, are you willing to invest? You know, like I read books constantly to just continually keep educating myself on, you know, these other smart people uh, that are actually writing books, um, even though I haven't had a chance to finally put my thoughts on paper yet. But, you know, the, the education and constantly being curious is certainly a key one. Uh, and then just given where the world is today, you know, the ability to be agile and adjust course where needed to see where opportunities are um, when others don't, you know, and I think our agency wouldn't be where we are today without my focus and ability to, you know, be agile and shift courses in terms of not just being a digital marketing agency, but being a full service Kickstarter marketing company. And throughout all of this, you say you like, you like to learn from smart people and like, who would you say is your hero? Who's someone that you like, God, I wish I was like them, not wish they were like them, but who embodies attributes that inspire you? Um, you know, I, I, I'll have to go back to my parents on this one. I know it's probably the, the corny, cheesy answer, but, you know, my parents had to go through a lot to, you know, put me and my sisters through, through school and, you know, get us all the things that we wanted and be able to give us the opportunities that we had. So, you know, I'm, I'm big fans of my parents, you know, I still look up to them and talk to them and, you know, kind of learn, um, from them. I'm not necessarily kind of the hero worshiper of you, if you will, like the Elon Musk's of the world or, you know, things like that. I, you know, props to all of them, like Bill Gates for what he's been able to do and build and donate back in terms of his philanthropy. Um, you know, you look at Bezos and what he's been able to build and now step away and focus on some of his, uh, his other things. So, you know, some of those big tech guys that are out there, it's great to be able to see, um, you know, given that I have daughters, I'm really inspired about, you know, the, the next generation of women that are going to be running this world and how I can help, you know, so I'm teaching and educating as much as I can. You know, I had the opportunity to speak to UMass Amherst last night. Uh, I speak to University of Minnesota this afternoon. So educating the youth and, you know, that they'll probably be my future bosses, you know, in, in the decades to come. So I'm always interested to see what's next. Uh, and I think our youth are kind of leading that path for us. It would be quite an interesting story. Or has that already happened where someone that you've got done a seminar with like in the university has gone like, emailed you like a few months down the line and said yo could you do a crowdfunding campaign for me and it's gone well oh absolutely you know i've worked with you know like young third graders uh that i've given tours at our facilities with that have come up with product ideas that they wanted to launch ideas and innovations around after i gave them a speech you know so it's it's really exciting for me to you know the younger kids that don't have any inclinations or 
you know, aren't held back by their dreams or what could become or what could be made. Um, you know, a lot of those kids can come up with some great ideas. I mean, the, the popsicle stick itself was created, I think, by an 11 year old. You know, so you look at like these these cool innovations that are super simple that children can make or came up with. You know, there's there's a lot of opportunities there. So given I'm in the physical product space, it's always great to hear what's your coolest idea or what's a product that nobody exists yet or, you know, what valuable company is nobody building uh, is always one of my favorite questions that I ask, you know, people that want to work for me. And this is quite an interesting time. One of the good things about now is, yeah, there's so many people to look up to, no matter what age you are. As you said before, like you've got 13 years coming around, 11, someone created the popsicle. I mean, like you've got Charlie D'Amelia doing success on TikTok. And then you've got people that like Felix Uger Alassim, he's, he's only 19, one of the top 20 tennis players in the world. And it's, what would you say things have changed from your time to now? Would you say that people are more proactive in going out to chase things than they were quite a few years ago? Well, I think the, the walls have come down for almost everything, right? The access to innovation, the access to innovators is one click away. That wasn't there when I was growing up, right? I had to do other things to get people's attention. Um, but for nowadays, like you, these kids are growing up with technology, right? It's already ingrained in them. They know how to swipe and, you know, scan and do all these things. And it's amazing to see my children do this. And just like, I didn't teach them that. They just like learned it, you know, wherever. Um, so I think, you know, the access to, you know, be able to leapfrog and get the attention that they want or follow the people where before you'd have to read the newspaper or watch the news. Now it's constant. It's 24-7. You can create your own filters and news station based on the content you want to receive and, you know, take in, if you will, every single day. And that, you know, just can truly leapfrog your education as well to really refine in what are you passionate about? What do you want to learn about? What craft or trade do you really want to focus your life on? And I think, you know, being a jack of many trades is great, but in this future world, I think, you know, having the ability to focus in on something that a robot potentially won't do in the future is going to be key to their success. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's amazing what we've done already. I mean, 20 or 30 years ago, some of the things we're doing now, we wouldn't think would happen. And I think Absolutely. I'm yeah, I mean, you look at like cryptocurrency didn't exist or Tesla didn't exist or the iPad just came out 11 years ago, right? And the smartphone. You know, now we're constantly in communication with anyone we want and anybody can reach us at any time in their pocket. That's just like the last decade, you know, like, I don't know what it's going to be like in the next decade after this, but I'm excited to see what comes next. And, you know, fortunately, we get to see a lot of those cool tech and innovative products that are coming out next because they're using crowdfunding to launch their idea and innovation with and pre-sell their product before they make major investments into it. What would you do right now if you saw like Star Trek or like Terminator 2 sort of stuff happen and you've helped crowdfund something like that, like a T101 or something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, fortunately, there's a lot of great uh, inventors out there in the world that will likely come up with uh, creative ways to, you know, <laughs> solve those problems for us. Um, you know, fortunately, I'm the, the marketing guy behind a lot of these projects and my team, you know, in terms of the work that we do for these innovators that are out there. So, you know, I'm ready to receive all of your product ideas or innovation ideas and, you know, give you our unsolicited feedback where needed. <laughs> and one thing, how, how do you 
I just sort of two sort of questions before we go. Um, how do you be honest without being offensive? Like how do you how do you main choose yourself and be honest with someone without annoying them? Well, again, like I said earlier, we're usually the ones that have to tell someone that their baby is ugly, right? Your product isn't a good product. It's, it maybe already exists or you're infringing on someone else's patent or licensing or whatever it may be, because typically the friends and family don't want to do that, right? They want to remain your friend and your family. Um, and they're the ones who just aren't going to say that sort of things. But given the experience that we have launching thousands of products now, we have a really good sense of what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, every once in a while, there's a surprise, you know, out of every four or 500 campaigns or something like that. But, you know, overall, we, we have really good data that we can tap into for every innovation that comes out and saying, yeah, this is what it looks like. So, you know, we have inventors that simply show us their idea book every month, you know, hundreds of ideas that they have. And we're like, okay, that one's interesting. Let's test that one or test this one or, you know, do partnerships with them or whatever it may be. So, you know, your first idea isn't always going to be the best idea, but, you know, don't, don't stop there, you know, continue to think and tinker, uh, you know, where applicable. Okay. And what, what life advice would you give to your younger self now? <laughs> what life advice would I give to myself now? Mm. I don't know. I don't know how, you know, like I, I like the life I have. I love my family. I love, you know, my friends and everything like that. So I don't know if I'd want to, you know, change that course. Um, you know, overall, I think, you know, you, you have to be agile with the world that you're in and always be aware of the opportunities that are out there. You know, whatever, you know, the case may be like now, given that I haven't gotten on a plane in almost a year now and spoken at a conference or keynoted at an event, now it's just, you know, I can't wait to get back out there and do those sorts of things just because I'll have the opportunity to do that. And that's going to be, you know, such a blessing overall to be able to do that. So, you know, definitely, you know, appreciate every day that you have because, you know, we, we don't know what, what's next in this world. Well, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, you know, so there's my podcast, Art of the Kickstart, where I get to, you know, interview interesting entrepreneurs and founders, most of them running crowdfunding campaigns with us or just have innovative products. Uh, you can check out our company website, inventuspartners.com, uh, E-N-V-E-N-T-Y-S partners.com. Uh, you can submit a quote for free, you know, we'll take a look at it, review it and get back to you over email in terms of our thoughts or ideas around it. Uh, and then, you know, we have a lot of different resources there as well in terms of the blog or the content that's on there. Uh, you can check me out at my website, RoyMoreJohn.com as well, and, you know, subscribe where you want to. Um, but really, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking. This is a, you know, a unique opportunity for me to talk to your audience and uh, lots of great questions. So I look forward to the follow-ups from it.